Have you ever wanted to discover what's missing in your life? Metaphysics is available to all and is part of your life even if you don't know it. Welcome to Metaphysics, a view through the veil with Barb Crowley. Together we'll explore the mysteries behind metaphysics and how to use it to have a deeper understanding and advantage in life. And now here's your host, Barb Crowley. Hi, this is Barb Crowley and welcome to Metaphysics, a view through the veil. Today we're talking to Mark Ireland. Mark has done a deep dive into mediumship um, and written two books, Soul Shift and The Persistence of the Soul. Even though Mark's father, Richard Ireland, was a renowned 20th century century psychic medium, Mark didn't follow in those footsteps. However, he got hit pretty hard by life that knocked him into mediumship, and I'll let him tell that story. Thanks so much for being on the show, Mark. I'm so glad you're here. I'm happy to be here, Bob. Look forward to our chat. Thanks. So if you can... Maybe talk a little bit about your dad and then the worst part of how'd you get knocked into it? Sure. So I grew up with a father, like you said, who was a pretty prominent psychic medium, mainly in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And um, he counseled people like Mae West, who I got to meet when I was 19 years old, David Jansen, Glenn Ford, Amanda Blake, and uh, also I think the Eisenhowers, because I have a card from Mamie Eisenhower to my dad. Um, congratulating him on behalf of the president and her for marrying, getting married to my mom um, back in 1956. So, yeah. um, and I grew up with this. I saw his demonstrations. I was proud of him. I enjoyed taking friends to see him mainly in public venues. He was doing a psychic demonstration where he would blindfold, put 10 strips of Johnson Johnson medical tape over his eyes, three opaque black blindfolds, and then more tape over that. Uh, and then people would write questions on billets, which are pieces of paper, send them up, and then he would touch the paper and answer the questions and usually go beyond that and give them more information than what was on there, providing first and last names and all kinds of details. Um, and occasionally, even in the public venue, the mediumship would pop through. He'd give a, a message from someone who had passed that was specific and meaningful to the recipient. Didn't do that too often in the public you know, uh, demonstrations, but sometimes he also had his own church. He started out in spiritualism, but then he ended up having his own non-denominational church. Um, And that's where more of the mediumship was on display. So uh, having grown up with this, it gave me confidence that, hey, we're more than just the body. You know, life does apparently go on after, after physical death. So that was helpful to me and probably made me not have as much worry about dying as a lot of people might, you know, going through life. But I did not really seek to be my father. And there's a number of reasons for that. I think, number one, he was like the gold standard. So I never felt I could be as good as him, you know, and I didn't yeah. overwhelm It would be him. tough to have that, to yeah. try and live up to that. Yeah. Also, I um, I never felt like I was all that psychic. I would have flashes of things here or there. But, you know, it wasn't like a normal, regular part of my life. And he never really pushed me to develop. He would tell people that he thought I was psychic. But I never really sought to develop it. The other thing is, I saw the grief that he always took from skeptics, debunker type skeptics who always were challenging him. And you just could never satisfy them no matter what you do. And so I just thought, I I don't really want that kind of grief, you know. And Mm -hmm. again, my dad and I, our personalities were very different. I was much more practical and he was much more live for the moment kind of person, you know. And uh, so 
I went to college, got a degree, went into the business world, got married at the age of 21, had two boys at a young age. And so, but what the catalyst was for pulling me back into my dad's field was my youngest son, Brandon, who was 18 at the time, um, passed unexpectedly while hiking the McDowell Mountains behind our home in Scottsdale, Arizona. And um, we didn't initially know what had caused this. Uh, all I knew is his best buddy was with him and tried to resuscitate him. And he told me that when they were on the mountain, Brandon had um, expressed that his arms were kind of numb and his heart was beating fast. He said that Brandon had vomited and um, apparently joked about it and said, oh, I got some of my hair. So that made me feel good to know he was lighthearted at the time and probably didn't know what was coming. And then he said, Brandon said, I have to lay down. And he laid down and didn't wake up again. Um, but even though my father had passed by this time, so he wasn't, I couldn't go to him to consult, but I had an uncle, uh, his brother with similar abilities. And I contacted him and, and asked him, he asked if he could do anything for me. And I just said, well, if you get any kind of message, I'd really appreciate it. Um, so it was about three days later, I was making arrangements in the mortuary when we connected by cell phone. And he said, hey, Mark, I tried to connect last night, but I didn't have any success. He said, however, this morning I was doing my morning meditation. Your dad came to me and he told me that he was there for Brandon at the time he passed. Uh, Brandon was a little confused at first, but your dad helped him adjust. Um, he said, Brandon wanted you to know you're the best parents he ever could have had, which is the feel good thing we like to hear. But along with that. Was, oh, yeah. Was well, the what evidence. a nice note from the other side. Yeah. Still, yeah. you know. And the evidence was, he said, your dad says Brandon's death was caused by a lack of oxygen that caused his heart to fail, a lack of oxygen in his bloodstream that caused his heart to fail. And then two days later, I talked to the physician who conducted the autopsy, and she tells me that uh, Brandon had a severe asthma attack that caused his blood oxygen level to dip to the point of causing cardiac arrest. So my uncle gave me the cause of death two days before the autopsy person or mm -hmm. physician. And that was yeah. kind of one of the first things to get me back on this path and exploring it. Um, another one. That How did happened, you feel, though? How did you feel getting actual information like that? What, even though awesome. you know. Yeah. yeah how even though, you feel? know, it's just it's like the I guess the bond isn't broken is how it felt. The bond is not broken. You know, um, there's. And then I shared that with family and friends and people. It provided relief, not just to me, but to other people in the family and other yeah. friends to hear that. Just um, it was a very joyful kind of thing, you know, especially when you're mm -hmm. hit with something so unexpected. That's about the hardest thing you could have happen to you in life. Oh, it, I think that is the hardest. I actually think that probably is the hardest. Yeah. That's a vote. <laughs> yeah. And then... Uh, um, the the other thing that happened within the first few days, and I can't remember if it was before or after my uncle's message, I think it was actually before, I wanted a direct connection of some kind. So I went into, I had a walk-in closet. I went in there, shut the door so it was just dark, sat down and tried to get into a meditative state. And it took a little while, but um, I saw an image of Brandon's face scrolling by, like if my forehead was a movie screen and he was mm -hmm. smiling. I could tell he was smiling, he was joyful. And right after that was a symbol. It was a cross with an oval loop at the top. I'd seen those, but I didn't know what they were or what they meant. So this required me to go to Google it to see, well, what is that? And I discovered it's the, it's called an Ankh. It's an Egyptian cross. It's the oldest cross of human history. It's like 5,000 years old, I believe. 
Um, and the lower portion represents physical life and the oval loop represents eternal life. So what I got, the way wow. I interpret it, I got a message I had to decipher that said, your son's in eternal life and he's happy. So mm-hmm. I do have an analytical side. So that it was good for me to get something I didn't know the meaning of and I had to look it up. Yeah, that is good. That is good. So you had direct communication yourself. Uh, yeah, I did. Did you doubt it at all? No. I Not too much because, you know, when you get, when you find out the meaning of that, with that, that tells me there, you know, there was an intelligence behind giving me what I got. Um, mm-hmm. So I think my son gave me that, or maybe my dad helped him because he knows how to do it. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. You know. <laughs> but then just a series of things started unfolding that I could tell it was like synchronicity at work. So mm-hmm. it was like this path was laying out before me and I could just see it kind of unfolding. Um, the next step that I would say was about three weeks later, I was watching um, the news NBC news affiliate in Phoenix. And there was a, they were showing a clip about a mediumship uh, study being done at the university of Arizona at the time and there was a medium being shown that was her name's Alison Dubois. And at the time she was unknown, but she became famous because of the show Medium, which was loosely based mm-hmm. on her life. But um, in the lab, they showed her reading for people that she couldn't see or talk to. She just had to give them the reading. And there was a lot of specific, uh, specific information shared. And then they afterward, they showed the the, the people uh, confirming the accuracy of what she had said. And I, I was really impressed. I said, wow, she's really good. I'd love to get a reading from her. And I also mm-hmm. thought I'd love to be in that lab someday. You know, little did I know the very next day I get a call from a man named Jerry Concer who knew my uh, dad. And he says, Mark, I know what you've been through. And I know someone who might be able to help you. Her name's Allison Dubois. And here's, wow. a, phone, here's a phone number you can call <laughs> to get an appointment. Yeah. You know, so that was, you think that was your dad saying, call him. <laughs> yeah, probably. And then, yeah. And then a year later, I was in that lab as a test sitter, so uh, with mm-hmm. a different meeting. But that was pretty cool to see those things kind of line up. Um, yeah. and, and so I knew it wasn't just coincidence. Well, how was your reading? It was really good. There was, in my first book, Soul Shift, I chronicled four different readings, one of which was in the lab. Mm-hmm. But um, Allison, I think, was the first one I had. It was a few months later. What was interesting, um, some of the hits she had were really outstanding, but I think the the one that really took the cake was um, two weeks before I saw her, a man that knew my dad gave me a manuscript that I'd never seen before called Your Psychic Potential, A Guide to Psychic Development by Richard Ireland. So it's my dad's book. I'm like, well, where'd you get this? And and it was all typewritten pages, you know, but it had never been published. He says, well, your dad... Your dad gave it to me before his passing because I was out of state at the time. And so um, I said, well, it's been 12 years since my dad passed. Why are you giving this to me now? He goes, I don't know. I just feel like I'm supposed to. I'm like, okay. So two weeks later, I have the reading with Alison Dubois. And one of the first things she says to me is, well, I have your dad here. And he's shown me a book. But I think it's his book. And he's handing it to you to take forward. Does that make sense? And I'm like, wow. yeah, I think I know what that means. <laughs> My so, God, he's giving you a job from the other side. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. then uh, she also got a few things. Did with you Brandon. publish it before you go oh, yeah. on? Did you? Yeah, it's yeah, available okay. now. I published it mm-hmm. about 10 years ago. It's out there. Yeah. And then, I'm sorry, and then she went on with? Yeah, well, one of the things she had with Brandon that was pretty compelling was, you know, she, um, when the autopsy physician talked to me, she described Brandon's 
lungs as having expanded in the middle to almost meet in the middle, which um, they're trying to expand to get more oxygen. Um, so it only happens in cases of drowning or cases of severe asthma attacks. And Allison described the feeling of drowning. So, you know, yeah. she had the right description for what had happened. Uh, mm -hmm. She also said, and I went into this reading with her knowing very little about me, you know, as I hit right. as much as I could and I was a low reactor during it. So, you know, I was kind of a rough, a rough sitter, but she did say <laughs> your, your son's here and he, he wants to congratulate you for your 25th anniversary. And we had just had that like a month earlier or a month and wow. a half before. So that was pretty cool. Um, yeah. So, and um, so that, that, you know, these things just kept lining up and I was journaling my experiences. They were happening. Um, and then we had other direct connections too, beyond the the readings that we had that were pretty, pretty impressive. What were some of those? And these are direct to you, not through an, well, a the, medium or another person. Correct. Except the, the one that's most outstanding was actually directed by a wife. Mm -hmm. So what had happened was um, we were going to go on a cruise to celebrate Brian's high school graduation. But since he couldn't physically go with us, we took our older son and then we took Stu, who was Brandon's buddy. So right. they went with us. But we were gone for seven days. Before we left, um, Brandon was a bass player and we had met another man named James Linton. And James was actually on the mountain the day Brandon passed. And his group tried to help, but it was too late. I found out about James from the online obituary. He had written a comment saying, hey, I was on the mountain. If you want to meet me, here's my contact info. So we did. We became mm -hmm. friends with him. So this is six months later. James is a musician. He's in his home studio recording a song, some songs. And he asked if he could borrow Brandon's bass. So before going on the cruise, we had loaned him the bass. So anyhow, we just get back from the cruise. Susie goes into our master bedroom. She's sitting at the end of our bed. And um, she feels another presence there. She knows it's Brandon. And she actually sees a shadow figure out of her peripheral vision. Uh, interestingly, six months earlier, I'd been to a psychic who I didn't know if she was a medium. I guess she had some mediumship, but she says within six months, you're going to see Brandon and it'll be like at the side of your bed. Here it is six months later. So Susie's there. She sees him out of her peripheral vision. She senses him. Um, but what really makes this more compelling is the very next day after this experience, she gets a call from James Linton. And James says, well, Susie, I have something to tell you, but I don't know how to share it. And she thought he probably dropped the bass guitar, but it wasn't that. He says, I was recording this song and I felt another presence in the room with me, and I saw a shadow figure out of my peripheral vision, and I saw flashes of white light. He says, I thought I was hallucinating, so I went and drank water. I got something to eat. I took a shower. But every time I came back, the feeling was stronger and stronger. So I finally said, okay, Brandon, what do you want? And at that point, he felt guided to change this song, both musically, the bass line, and the lyrics. And at the end, he came up with a song called The Other Side, and he said, this is the best song I've ever written but I didn't write it. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So that, I mean, even without the song, just the mere fact that he had an identical experience yeah. without knowing my wife's back to back. I mean, that's pretty strong. That is, that is. Now I, I have to ask at this point, you're absolutely sure that he has gone on and he's by you and all of that. But what about grief? You you can't escape grief. It's it's a process right. you have to go through. There's no shortcuts. Um, in fact, you know, eventually I co-founded an organization called Helping Parents Heal in partnership mm -hmm. with Elizabeth 
Elizabeth Boyson. And she had her own group, you know, a single location group started back in 2009. We launched Helping Parents Heal in 2011. Um, and really, I got the push to do that from uh, another medium friend, Tina Powers. I was changing or I was leaving a job and I was kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. And she said, you know, Mark, I think your real calling in life is to help other parents who have been through the same thing as you. So maybe you think about an organization like that. So then I thought, well, Elizabeth's already got a blueprint for this. She's got a meeting group. But the thing is, it's just one location. She doesn't have a website. She doesn't have a newsletter. So I called her and I said, hey, do you want to partner and maybe do this and then blueprint what you do and have other chapters open up elsewhere? And um, we could start a newsletter and put a website together. And she's like, oh, yeah. And she had a different name for her group. And I said, well, how about a new name like Helping Parents Heal? She goes, oh, I love that name. Let's do that. Well, yeah. so today... You know, these this many years later, we have twenty over twenty five thousand members worldwide. We have over a hundred affiliates worldwide, and we had our second conference ever last year. We drew nine hundred people. We're going to have one next year in August, and we'll, we'll have a thousand people there, and we'll have some of the top mediums, researchers, near death experience I people was there. Going to ask that, yeah. yeah, yeah. We have yeah, like Maureen Hancock from the East Coast. She's phenomenal. She'll be there. James M. Prague is going to be there. Um, we've got um, Anita Morjani, who is a near-death experiencer. Yeah, um, yeah. We'll have, um, oh boy, I'm trying to think. Oh, we've got just a, a roster of really 900 people. people are probably desperate saying, talk to me, talk to me. But where I was going with all that is, you know, in terms of the grief. So here's here's what I've learned. Or at least my theory of what helps somebody heal. And I'm not saying this is everything, but there's, I call the five pillars of healing. Um, and the first one is to hopefully you have support from family and friends, but not everybody does. Um, and sometimes they don't want to talk about it. You know, they feel uncomfortable, yeah. but having that's important. Um, second is having support and friendship with people who have been through the same thing. So that's something we offer because, you know, it's all parents who have been through this. Mm -hmm. um, the third thing is for somebody to get to a position of providing service to others. Now, maybe you're not going to be feeling well enough right away to do that. But when someone gets enough strength, if they can contribute in a positive way um, towards somebody else in a selfless way, that really comes back to help them heal too. And it could be some of the parents start a foundation if their child died of cancer or something. Maybe it's a fundraiser for cancer. I know somebody else who did one for organ donation. Um, and then some of the parents just become affiliate leaders for helping parents heal in their own communities. Um, yeah. the, four, the fourth thing is, and this is a tough one because some people have a hard time with this, but it's letting go of feelings of guilt because parents always want to blame themselves. Like, I should have done this or I could have done that. You know, just like me saying, I shouldn't have let him go on the mountain that day, you know, or, but yeah. the reality is 18 years old, you know, you have to live life. Um, yeah. So the guilt or also anger towards somebody else. So you, forgiving somebody you're holding accountable in your heart and mind. If you hang on to that and you don't let go of that, you're going to have a hard time healing and moving past. Mm -hmm. And then the fifth pillar is um, hope through afterlife evidence. So it's uh, sharing, discussing, reading books about phenomena that demonstrate that that there is a continuity of consciousness and personality after physical death and that's the differentiator for our organization because there are others out there who appeal to grieving parents but 
they don't really allow that kind of dialogue, and we do. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to go to your number four, you know, okay. the guilt one. Yeah, and and anger. There's always you know which I can understand anger even. Sure. You know, I mean, the emotion of it is just, um, it's almost like emotion has to come out somewhere. But do you think it is uh, pre-set up that that person, that's the end of their life? And it's it's kind of pre-set up anyway. And Well, what you're getting to is the the idea of Hmm? pre-life planning, right? Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. Like Robert Schwartz (laughs) has a couple of books out about it. I know him. Right. Um, I do think that we come here with a plan. And I think in some cases, something like this may have been planned that way. And had I known, I mean, I would have probably fought my whole life to keep it from happening, you know, I've been consumed by it. So I think, I think that's why we come here with maybe a lack of memory other than when you're a little kid, you get little kids. Well, like you talked about Jim Tucker at at university of Virginia, you know, they do the research and, and they found, you know, kids that, up to age five or six is usually, you know, the oldest they'll be and still have those past life memories. But mm-hmm. um, most of us come here with, you know, it's kind of a blank slate. And, and don't I think you think we'd all that. bail, you know, well, when it got a little tough and be like, yeah, I'll do it next really, time. <laughs> this is a challenging world. It is. And I think, yeah. you know, from everything I know or understand it, it provides an acceleration of, of growth and, and your own soul evolution because you have challenges here that are tough. Mm-hmm. Um, so my son, emotion. Passing, I don't know if there's emotion like we have over there, that, I that think, depth. I don't think like, um, emotion, like fear or emotion, like, um, pain <laughs> or, um, even grief. grief. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, the one emotion I've heard is love, like an all encompassing mm-hmm. penetrating kind of love. Uh, right. that's, that's just, you know. And it seems to be like a a light joy or a light bliss on the other side. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if we remembered, nobody's hanging out. Nobody would get half (laughs) fixed. But (laughs) we must choose to come here and go through this crap. So in my case, yeah, I I do think that my son's passing was the catalyst to push me to do this work. And so as hard as that was for me, I probably never would have gotten in the back of my dad's field. I wouldn't have written these books. I wouldn't have started a helping parents heal right. or any of that stuff. And so now there's, you know, you thou- have been tens of, of thousands of people. Yeah. Now there's yeah. tens of thousands of people. I've had at that conference, I had at least half a dozen people walk up to me and say, thank you. You saved my life. Mm-hmm. I've had people who have read my books, email me and say, I was contemplating suicide before I read your book and I decided not to after reading it. So then, you know, you're doing something powerful. That's important. Right. That's a heavy lift though, in a way, you know, it's like, Whoa, (laughs) I guess at the time you're doing it or, you know, you don't even think about that. You just find out later the impact it had on somebody. Mm -hmm. You probably wouldn't be able to, if you realized that kind of weight that you were carrying that kind of weight, you probably wouldn't be able to, you know, carry it, really. It'd be daunting, mm-hmm. too daunting. Could be. I would think. But I, that I pushed you in. Out. So you you don't believe you're psychic and you don't believe you are a medium? No, I I'm, Although I you get say that. psychic hits? I have had a number of hits. I've had some pretty impressive things, too. It's just not something I really dedicated myself to to developing and practicing. Um, 
for a variety of reasons. I mean, I am working full time and I, I've got other things that, that I'm responsible for. I think there's a lot of responsibility that comes with um, reading for people in grief. So I have to weigh whether I want to take on that kind of responsibility or not. Um, and also, you know, the writing that I've done um, is kind of a objective journalistic type approach to the subject that I talk about. So, you know, the minute I say, okay, now I'm a medium, it really can't <laughs> approach it from the same direction anymore. Also, I've got a medium certification program. And the reason I have that is because after my first book came out, Soul Shift, I had a ton of people coming to me asking for recommendations for good mediums. Well, I knew some, but but most of them were like celebrity type mediums and they had big followings and long wait lists and some were fairly expensive. Mm -hmm. um, so people needed to get in sooner and some of them couldn't afford those prices. So I thought, you know, there have to be some talented people out there that are just lesser known. So I put a program together um, and a website. And since 2014, I've been doing this and I've certified about 40 people and they go through a pretty rigorous process. They have to do five blinded readings on Zoom for someone they don't know. They're only able to see the first name and the videos off, at least in the beginning part of it. Mm -hmm. So you can't allege cold reading or anything like that. And um, yeah. so they do these readings and they have to do well enough statistically uh, over five readings to pass and get certified. So basically the way it goes is uh, they'll do a reading, the sit, it's recorded. After the recording is done, the sitter transcribes it and makes it into individual statements and then has to grade each statement as either correct, incorrect, or indeterminable. Indeterminable mm -hmm. might be a prediction or something like that that they don't know yet. Know. Or some piece of information they can't find out because it, it deals with somebody they don't know or whatever. Um, so... We then grade the paper for percent of accuracy, and then also they can assign bonus points if there's a really significant hit. There's a two-point bonus and a five-point bonus. So uh, say, for example, um, the medium says, okay, um, your son, uh, I think your son has an A name. Well, let's let's just say that the kid's name is Aaron. So you say, okay, that's pretty good. I'll give you two points bonus for A for the first name. But if the medium says, I think your son's name is Aaron, that would be worth five point bonus. Um, yeah. Or or like say, uh, I think your son's favorite food was pizza. Okay, if that was correct, maybe that's worth two. But if they say your son's favorite food was pizza with pepperonis, bell peppers and black olives, that's five yeah. point. See, yeah. so you, just to give you the flavor for how it would be scored, medium's gotta be at least get a score of 75 total to pass. So it's um, they have to be at least 65% accurate, regardless of anything else. And then, so if they're 65% accurate, they'd need two of the five-point bonuses to get into 75, or they need to be 75% accurate or better. Um, so it's it's a and I've raised the bar two two or three times on this because I want to make sure I'm getting really good high-quality people. So I've had a lot of people fail, but you know the thing is the people coming through are, are good uh, and they can pass that scrutiny. Um, and by percent accuracy, I'm I'm weighing you know, correct and incorrect, and then I'm kind of pushing the other statements to the side because we can't the ones that are indeterminable we can't really. I, you don't them. know. However, yeah. if someone has an inordinate number of those, if like half the statements are are indeterminable, that's not a good reading. So we limit that to thirty three percent of the total responses. If they go higher than that, anything over count is incorrect. What happens if the the sitter? 
comes back and says, oh, my God, within the last six months, all of these things proved accurate. They can come back and they can uh, let us know and give us an update to let us know something that happened. You, I haven't really had that happen in the nine years other than what I would say is that sometimes people have what's called psychic amnesia during the reading. So something said to them that just doesn't resonate right away. But fortunately, because they have to take the time to take the recording and transcribe it, they're, they're usually weeks after the reading that they're doing all that. And by that time, usually if something else is going to happen or they're going to recognize it, they'll catch it by the time they do it. I would say on average, you know, we're getting the score sheets back probably three to four weeks after the reading. And by then, oh, wow. you know, yeah. So by yeah. then, usually they're able to reconcile anything like that, or at least most things. Mm -hmm. But in the case of um, your son being by the bed, you know, that was six yeah. months later. True, true. Yeah. yeah. So, no, like you know, your son be... proved you wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, in a, in a case like that, I mean, that would be just one statement, too. And yeah. when we're doing these readings, we've got, you know, typically 50 to 75 statements. So it's just one out of 75. It's not really going to make a huge difference one way or the other. Right, right. So so you're providing good mediumship to people, um, to the parents, basically, right. or I'm sure yeah. family. Anybody members. can, yeah. you know, anybody. Yeah. And um, it, it's a public service. I did it all out of my own pocket. I don't make mm -hmm. anything. The, the mediums charge whatever they charge. It's just a resource. So I've paid thousands of dollars in, you know, web development and continuing to upgrade the website. And then I have a volunteer who helps me with the scheduling and the scoring. Um, so that's the deal. It, it's, it can be time consuming at, you know, at certain points. We, uh, we really only have capacity to test about two mediums at a time. So we have a wait list for mediums and sitters. We've had a real hard time getting good quality sitters. We have a lot of people who want to be a sitter, but when they, mm -hmm. when it comes time to do the work and do it the right way, Sometimes people drag their feet or they don't want to do the transcription and the write up. They just want the free reading. It's like you got to. Yeah. So we're it's <laughs> we have to make sure that they're willing to do the work on the back end after the reading. And it's not just for their own enjoyment. It's it's for this uh, program. Mm -hmm. Well, I would think a lot of your people be very motivated, especially if they've lost a child. Yeah, they are. They are. Um, yeah. I think. But. You know, for to be a test sitter, I really want somebody who's a little further along in the grief journey, too, because that, you know, I get all kinds of people coming through the program and some of them aren't that great and some are. But, you know, it's hit and miss. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think if somebody's going for like a first reading, they're better off to to just pay for a reading with someone who's well, you know, who's good and has already been proven and established right. Um, right. as opposed to trying to do a test reading when you've never had a reading before. Then if you have a bad experience, you're going to be you know, in a, in a, in a worse place potentially than if you just go on to somebody who's got the experience. So. Otherwise, do you think there's a timing to it or no? That you is, know, that the parent I, should... I, you know, typically I recommend three to six months after the passing and it's not because they can't connect. It's because the person needs to be emotionally stable enough um, mm -hmm. to go through the process. And, it can affect the reading too, because it's a, there's an energetic flow that takes place there. And if the sitter's too emotionally distraught, you know, they may not get a good reading. Um, and it may right. be, yeah. So that that's kind of why I recommend to wait three to six months. Some people can do it sooner. Um, so others mm -hmm. can't, you know, I got, I didn't get a full reading from my uncle, but you know, I got that message just 
three days afterward, and it meant, meant the world to me. But then again, I had a lot of ex experience um, yeah. with mediums and psychic stuff before that, so I knew what I was dealing with. Do you know the dreams that don't look like dreams, you know, the dreams that come through that are very, um, they're, they're very clear, the, the, um, you know, the colors are very bright. They, they're dreams. They happen in a dream state, but they're really not dreams. And I, I always look at them as visitations that they I had, are actually visitations. I've had one of those with my son and mm -hmm. it happened a year and a half after he passed. Um, and I, it was as vivid as waking reality, if not more vivid than waking reality. And yeah. he was in a room that was all white and where the fourth wall should be was infinity. It was like the whole universe. It was odd, wow. but he was in this white room and it's like he was sitting on a counter or a, uh, that was raised up. So his feet were hanging down. He was sitting here. He had on his jeans, his t-shirt and his sneakers like he always wore. And um, I went in there and I was so thrilled to see him. And I, I said, um, Brandon, I, I, let me get mom. Let me get Steven. Let, let me get Stu. They got to see you, you know? And yeah. I said, I said, I've missed you so much since you died. And then he responded to me and said, I didn't die. My father died. And that's the last thing I remembered. And then I had like wow. this puzzle, like, what does that mean? Yeah. yeah. And uh, it was about... I don't know, a few days later, his buddy Stu had come by our house and I was telling him about the dream. And I said, I'm not sure what this means, Stu. And, and then all of a sudden just dawned on me. I said, oh, I think it means that he didn't die because we don't. You know, we just transition mm -hmm. into the next realm. But my father died. I think he's referring to me as part of me died, like the old me. Um, and then yeah. that gave birth to a new me, uh, which had like really two parts of my life, you know. The old me mm -hmm. and the new me to go forward. That is true. One side of you did stop and a new side of you started. But um, I've had some work with, um, you know, with people who've passed and all that. And I, and I always tell people that when they've lost somebody, they will not get the communication. You know, they, they will get communication, but not direct because grief is so thick. It's like shouting in a fog, but you'll get communication in a weird way from weird people. So it'll be you're checking out at the local grocery store and somebody will say, oh, I dreamed of your dad the other night and he looked great and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And you're meanwhile thinking, how come he doesn't talk to me? How come he doesn't? <laughs> and what it is, is he knew he could get through yeah. to that person because there was no grief there, a little grief. And that person would tell you, but it seems to take quite a bit of time, like you said, a year and a half before they can come direct through to you, get through that grief pillow. Yeah. And I've had a number of dreams with him that I feel were visits in some way, but they were more like regular dreams. I've only had right. that really vivid experience with him once. And I had a vivid experience with my aunt once too. And then my cousins, I told them about her. Um, and mm -hmm. I, I don't even remember what I told them at this point, but... <laughs> Yeah, it hey, was something she, she was just uh, saying hi, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that happens. <laughs> yeah. I think they can see us, I guess. And we just, because we've gotten so dense and cut all off all information, we can't really see them. But I think yeah. they can see us 
without much problem. That's well, my belief on it. We're functioning through this brain that filters down consciousness. So it's limiting, in my opinion, right. limiting you uh, so for survival in this world, basically. So there's so much going on outside of what we perceive with the five physical senses. Uh, but I guess that's part of the, the journey here, you know, um, is having right. this na- narrow focus of this life and having these experiences um, in a biological suit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Whereas if we were talking before we got on the show about um, if we did remember, nobody would make it past six. We'd all be yeah. off in ourselves. <laughs> I'm going the other side. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's nicer over there. It's nicer over there. So you were brought into um, the University of Arizona, but also the University of Virginia um, as a sitter. Or, yeah, so um, I, I'm not physically gone there, but Dr. Emily Williams Kelly a number of years ago did a mediumship uh, experiment. And so I was one of the sitters involved in that. And what they did basically was they had a, a group of mediums do readings for different people. And I was one of the ones that was to receive a reading. Well, then she sent me, I guess there were six six sitters and six mediums. So I got six readings uh, transcribed. And then I had to grade which one I thought was mine. And then I had to like rate them, like which is number two, number three. You know, if I felt like uh, this one for sure, and then maybe this one was second. Anyhow, I can't say uh, it wasn't revealed to me exactly what happened. But I do know she she came back and said that it was very successful. And I believe she was able to get a, a journal article, uh, a science journal, to pick that up uh, with the results in it. You'd probably have to Google it um, or go to the University of Virginia's website, the Division of Perceptual Studies. And I think they have an archive of different documents if somebody wants to drill down like that. But uh, yeah, I participated with that and um, got to know her a little bit. So she was helpful. And, and in fact, I used a lot of the protocols I learned from her in my certification. I was program. wondering about that. Yeah. yeah. And then also um, I'm friends with Trisha Robertson, who's with the, uh, she's the former president of the Scottish society of psychical research. And so she helped me with the scoring methodology to kind of fine tuning it. And um, so, yeah, so it's, it's been nice to meet people that do the research. There's not a lot of them. And the Winbridge is another one that does it. Uh, I think it would be nice to see a lot more money go towards that. I mean, there's so many dollars spent by universities on all other kinds of things that aren't probably as yeah. important. The tough part is you have, you know, academia is still uh, married to materialism. So this stuff's all taboo to them. So it's it's pretty rare to see uh, people in the academic circles do this kind of research. But I think over time, hopefully that will increase. I do know you know, there's more public interest in it. I, my personal opinion is I think that there's a groundswell of grassroots ac- action here that's going to push this forward. That's my view. Yeah. You know, I I, I told you before I spoke to Bruce Grayson, mm-hmm. who did, <clears throat> you know, near-death experience, University of Virginia. Right. And um, there is enough evidence there that if it wasn't near-death experience, it would be a fact in our science. There mm-hmm. is enough proven evidence that um, that our consciousness goes on. Yeah. And yet they, they 
won't go there. It, it's, you know, yeah, but if you took that kind of evidence and you put it with pretty much anything else, science would consider that a fact by now. Yep. Yep. It, it's a shame. I mean, I, in my book, The Persistence of the Soul, the new book, I've got a lot of this evidence in there, you know, so I'm still sharing my personal stories and things that, that happen, um, experiences with these phenomena, but then I'm supporting it with the science that's been done, you know, um, and there's been a lot of science over the years done, you know, yeah. back to the Society of Psychical Research way back when, and then, you know, Duke University uh, Parapsychology Lab with J.B. Ryan and and on and on. And today you've got, you know, uh, like Tricia Robertson, she worked with Professor Archie Roy in the UK, and he was one of the most highly regarded scientists of the last century there. Um, uh, so, yeah, there are some people doing it. It would be nice to see more. But, you know, again, for some people, no matter how much evidence there is, they'll never they'll never even consider it or read the evidence. Yeah, yeah. You know, Why do you think pipe- that is, though? What is the fear there? You know, there's different theories uh, about that. I think, you know, to, to my mind, it's hard to change somebody's worldview, you know, and I think there's, for whatever reason, I think there's some ego attached to it's like, oh, intellectually, I'm smarter than you because I don't believe in woo-woo stuff, you know, Yeah. but, you know, quantum mechanics is woo-woo. <laughs> so, I, I'm thinking there is proof here where, like with uh, Bruce, they, you know, as they were going to the other side or, you know, leaving their bodies, they were telling things that happened on the other side of the hospital or, you know, that were proven that, yeah, that happened. They could only know that as, you know, that they were out of body in there. This to me are just facts. Yeah. One of my favorites is the Anita Morjani's explanation of what happened when she was in a coma and basically dying. She had left her body and she was down the corridor of the hospital far away from her physical body, overlooking her husband and the doctor talking. And then when she was revived later, she recounted that pretty much word for word what was said about her condition and all these different things. So that wasn't even where her body was. So, you know, sometimes skeptics will say, well, maybe they were the brain was still functioning a little bit and they heard it or whatever. Well, a case like that, you know, just knocks that out completely. And right, um, right. yeah, and I know I, there's I, quite a few cases like that, too. Quite Yes. A yeah. And yeah. we uh, I was able to interview Dr. Pim von Lommel once for helping periods heal for a Zoom call. Mm-hmm. And, you know, his cases involve people that are I mean, there's no brain activity. There's no brainstem activity. Um, and so these occurrences are reported during those time frames. It, there's just no way to get around it. Something's happening yeah. there, you know. Um, yeah. so it's, it's their loss if they don't want to consider the evidence or open their minds up, but it's just a stubbornness. It's a fear too. that I can't, yeah, I just well, can't quite part understand. Part of it too is there's, I think some of them may believe more, but they don't let on in, in their work environment because it's taboo at the university. Um, well, so yeah. part of it's job security, you know, they're afraid of <laughs> yeah. losing, losing yeah. up. So that's true. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Um, with the, with people at, at, after losing a child are so fragile, mm-hmm. how do you, you know, how do you suggest that they protect themselves and get in a good medium? 
and not because there's a lot of charlatans out there. Right. There's a lot of innocent people who think they're mediums and they're not, but there are a lot of straight out charlatans. No, you're so, right. It's interesting because through the through the testing process that I've been doing, I can tell you, I mean, I've not in that vein encountered charlatans. I have outside of that encountered a couple. Um, but I see far more people who are a little bit deluded and think they have this and they really don't, mm-hmm. or they don't have it to the degree that it's really helpful. Helpful. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I would, I mean, that's really why I put the certification program together. I have a website. If they want to go there, they, they know that any of those 40 mediums have been tested and did pass the, the scrutiny. I know a number of others that I recommend to people that, that I haven't tested because I already knew how good they were. Um, but if you want to get people my website, there's actually links on it to a number of other sites. There's a link. To Why don't you say it. your website now? Yeah. So my website is markirelandauthor.com. Mark with a K, Ireland like the country, author, markirelandauthor.com. If you go there, you'll find a link to the certified medium site. You'll find a link to helping parents heal. There's also a link to see videos of my dad. I've got a really good one of him on the Steve Allen show in 1971 that people might enjoy seeing of his psychic demonstration. Um, <laughs> that's good. So, you know, that's, that's one resource that's there for people. If they're looking for a medium, they're going to get somebody. I can't promise you're going to get a great reading. Maybe you will. Hopefully you will. It just mm-hmm. increases the odds if you're dealing with people who have done it effectively and proven over time. And even some of the people I certified, you know, maybe they had out of the five readings, maybe they had three really good ones, one okay and one not good, you know, because yeah. it's yeah. It, there's no guarantees with it. It's not an exact science, but your odds are increased because these are people who have performed under that kind of scrutiny. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the combination lock experiment? Okay, that I learned about that actually from Dr. Emily Williams Kelly. So. Um, Ian Stevenson, I think, was the person who really set up the Division of Perceptual Studies or that part of the University of Virginia that yeah. looks into things. And he like got the money from Xerox, right? The Xerox oh, guy left the money for them yeah. to do this research. And his his initial interest was all in reincarnation. Uh, he would go to mm-hmm. faraway remote places in other countries where, you know, people, uh, there would be like a village and there would be a kid at the village that says, oh, my name used to be this, and I was married to so-and-so. I lived in this other village. And then he'd go to the other village and 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 check the, the, the facts out and find out, wow, this lines up, you know, with this kid saying matches this person who was there and that the person died around this time and blah, blah, blah. So um, anyhow, Ian Stevens said before he died, well, let me just take a step back. Um, one common thing that it's kind of the gold standard in mediumship is when somebody leaves a secret code and then it's solved by a medium after the person passes. I can give you an example. Um, One of the mediums I know she's now retired, but she's in my first book, soul shift. Her name's Linda Williamson and um, John Edward, who's an East coast, well-known medium. When his mother died, he had agreed on a secret code with his mother. He didn't tell anyone what it was. So he went to, um, three different mediums. The first two didn't get it. Then he goes to Linda Williamson and Linda says, well, I've got your mother here. And she's, she's saying she's the guiding light in your life. He says, that's it. That's the secret code. She was a soap opera fan and the guiding light was her favorite show. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So, so um, (laughs) that's the original idea. 
Um, and even, even Houdini had a secret code that he sh shared with his wife and said, if anyone gives you this code, you'll know that Houdini still lives. And Arthur Ford actually did provide that code. But if you look it up today on Google, they'll say it's never been solved, which is not true. But anyhow, so the, the crux of that was this kind of concept of having a, a secret code. But what Ian Stevenson did was apparently they've got, uh, he has a lock in there and there's a several locks and there's um, the code to unlock the lock correlates to a word. And so if a medium delivers the correct word, that translates into numbers. So, you know, and I don't know, you'd need like a chart to figure out, okay, V equals three or A equals one. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. but with, with, um, with the correct word, they will translate that to a number and that would unlock the lock. And that would be great proof, you know, but it also mm -hmm. is probably a tough thing to do. They, I don't think it's been solved yet. I actually had a few mediums uh, put forth um, their thoughts about it. Um, and it has not been opened yet, but it's, it still could be, you know, it would just require the right person. Um, yeah. Maybe I'll ask Gordon Smith. He's, he's really good. <laughs> maybe he can get it. <laughs> Let me know what happens. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. where is the information getting lost? Do you think they can't get through or we can't receive? Well, I don't know. I mean, oh. is it possible that he no longer cares about that? Or maybe when he yeah. was here on earth that he thought this is real important, but now, I don't know. Or, or maybe somebody said, well, maybe he can't remember, but I don't know, you know, hmm. where's memory stored? How do you access a memory, you know? Right. Um, right. But if he, either he can't convey whatever that word is to somebody or hasn't been able to yet, or maybe you just need like a superstar medium to be able to get it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Or maybe they're shouting in the fog, like I said, where the voice just gets swallowed up. Could be, but um, I will see Gordon Smith at the next conference, and maybe I'll ask him. I want to know. If, <laughs> I don't want to know think, if he gets it. Well, the other part is, I think, you know, mediums do their best work when they're working with a sitter who has an emotional attachment to someone who's passed. So my thought was it might work better if, like, Emily Williams Kelly or one of the other people at U of UVA who worked with Ian and knew him and was close with him, if they got the reading from the medium, maybe then that would do the job. Uh, right. As opposed to me as a proxy, and they don't know anything about Ian Stevenson or have any mm -hmm. sense for what he's like or anything like that. Right. So, anyhow, running that's what out that... of time on Ian Stevenson though, when he passed in the seventies, didn't he? Or am I, I wrong on that? I can't remember. I think it was more recent than that, but but I'm not oh, really yeah. sure. Yeah. But, uh, anyhow, well, I thought ask, it was a, a novel experiment. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> but let me ask you, because uh, people always go in and say, well, who's around me? You know, were they just one whoever? And then also words of wisdom. And are there words of wisdom from the other side? I think so. I mean, my dad, actually, in addition to his regular psychic work, he did uh, trans lessons and he did them for 30 years so and there people didn't pay for this they would just sit in a class once a week every monday night and he would do this trance work and i've got volumes of these lessons so he had to feel there was value in them and they, they're you know they're really about life purpose and life meaning and i think um so i think there can be some wisdom shared through that method yes definitely mm -hmm. 
Um, but I, so I think there's different purposes of the mediumship. You know, part of it might be to relieve grief, but part of it might be, you know, to help somebody get on the right path or, or got some sort of guidance, you know. Um, yeah. And that Linda Williamson that I mentioned earlier, this is really ironic, but if I go back and reread that chapter in Soul Shift, um, mm-hmm. almost everything she told me was going to happen, happened. She said that, you know, I'll be leading this huge organization and people will follow me and all I have to do is just tell my truth and be myself. And, you know, it was just crazy how everything she said has yeah. pretty much come to pass. She, and I remember thinking, why is this taking so long? Nothing's happening, you know? And, uh, and she did say back then, um, you know, it's not always in the time frame we think it should be or we'd like it to be. It happens in the time frame it's supposed to happen. And and now I could see all these other things lining up, you know, um, culturally and otherwise that I think there's an appetite for this information. Right. And here's the other thing. Is, is it all are our lives preordained? We touched that before, touched on that before. Are our lives preordained? Yeah, it's already set out. Um, I, you know, then you have the question of free will. So I guess I feel like we have a maybe life as a general roadmap, but we can make choices and take diversions. But hopefully, we kind of end up back on on the main path again. You know, or almost like a river. You know, with tributaries and branches, but it still comes back at the end. Sort mm-hmm. of. So maybe that's the free will that we have. And if you had free will as a soul and you chose this and you laid it all out for yourself, maybe with some guidance, um, then you had free will. But it's really that higher self of you had the free will to lay all out right. this before you will. got here. Yeah. yeah. So if that was your <laughs> yeah. choice, even if you are living a somewhat preordained life, you chose that life, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, we're going to have to end. I've loved our conversation. Thanks so much for being here. And again, I'm going to ask you to repeat your website and where people can get hold of you and what you have coming up. Sure. Um, and here's the books. Here's the new one. Mm-hmm. The Persistence of the Soul. We're on radio, too. So we'll, we can oh, put that up. But we're gotcha. on radio. Okay. But my website yeah, is... But there are those outside that can pick it up. <laughs> <laughs> MarkIrelandAuthor.com markirelandauthor.com okay great and do you have any any of those um classes coming up or you know where you're checking the mediums and testing them uh it's it's an ongoing process we always are doing it so we we do two people at a time that's really our capacity and then we have a list of people waiting to be tested so i have 40 40 who have passed over nine years and they're on the website now and there'll probably be more over time you know as we as more people pass, but it's, it's a tough, it's a tough hurdle to pass. So we have a lot of people come through that do not pass by far. The majority do not pass. Um, But yeah, Yeah. but it'll keep expanding. But with 40 of them on there now, there's plenty to choose from. Um, Mm -hmm. I would just tell people, go look at the list and see who resonates with you. You know, most of them are going to do the readings by zoom. Some will do Mm -hmm. them in person. So if you want it in person, you'll have to see if, Find somebody that's close to you geographically because it lists where they're all located. And then um, you can see if they do in-person readings. Um, otherwise, Zoom readings are typically just as good. So um, that's my two cents worth on that. Great. Great. You're doing a great job. Well, thank you, Bob. <laughs> Thanks so much for being on. I really enjoyed it. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. 
Thank you for joining us for Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil. Please tune in for another edition with your host, Barb Crowley, next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Enjoy your upcoming weekend.